The following episode is brought to you by Daryl Delaney, Ryan Royce, Darren Katzka, Jessica Smith, Irene Viarito, Laura Pickren, Eric Whitman, Devious Pop-Tart, Elizabeth Clark, Natasha Rallerson, Richard Cree, The Cam Family, Charles Compton, Edvarth Arnoff, Dustin Troop, Rebecca Miller, Michael Clark, and David Scrams, along with all of our generous patrons. Welcome to Eberron Renewed, an actual play podcast set in the Eberron campaign setting. I'm your game master, Eric, and I'm recording a special intro for this episode because as many of you probably noticed or saw us announce on our Facebook page or in our Discord, there was not an episode last week because we ran into a technical snafu where uh, about 50 seconds into recording this episode, Jeff's mic came unplugged. He plugged it back in, but... The fact that it came unplugged messed with our recording software. And so we have like 50 seconds of audio from Jeff. Um, So we are going to do our best to put together an episode for you moving forward. Um, We are going to get uh, hopefully Jeff to record uh, some of his answers. Uh, But if the episode seems a little disjointed and me from the future hopping in to read your questions, uh, that is why. Uh, We don't want to lose the -the off-the-cuff nature of the discussion that we had, at least with the four of us. Uh, Jeff was a vital part of that discussion, Um, but we just, from a scheduling standpoint, uh, cannot meet uh, before this Friday uh, when you are listening to this uh, to re-record. So we're going to do the best that we can do. Uh, We apologize, and we hope that you enjoy the episode. So to just do a quick overview of what this latest arc uh, covered, um, obviously the party got a job to go get a manifest from a house Kenneth warehouse and ran into a bit more complications than they had bargained for in the form of some very highly skilled uh, warforged guards, uh, along with a smattering of human guards that house Kenneth had under their employ. Um, they were accompanied by... Kath and Sana and Sigil, uh, their fellow companions in the uh, in the gang, um, and yeah, they they had a fun car chase through the city after encountering a woman that they gained literally no information from. Uh, so we'll maybe she'll show back up. Uh, you'll be able to tell by her distinctive voice. Uh, and then we also tried something a little bit different uh, with this campaign kicking things off after the first episode. We uh, included little opening scenes to let you all get to know these characters a little bit more. Uh, so obviously the first one was with Hob uh, on babysitting detail, for lack of a better term, uh, to uh, take care of a high-ranking member of the clan's nephew, Vigo, um, and keep him out of trouble just, uh, just as well as he could. Uh, and then 
also, uh, in the episode after that, uh, Trevor, do you want to tell them about uh, your little scene that you had? Oh, um, I had been, uh, or Reynard had been arrested uh, or taken into custody, I guess. And um, it was a scene between uh, an officer and Reynard. Um, an officer and a gentleman, as it were. Lots of sass. Yes, there was so much sass. <laughs> <laughs> and just a quick disclaimer up front regarding the rules and powers in this campaign moving forward. From a rule standpoint, um, 90% of this campaign is homebrew. So that like we might hit a arc where you all are like, hey, I thought Hob could do this thing, but now all of a sudden Jeff's not doing it. It's because Eric realized he messed up making it and said, Jeff, you can't do that anymore. Here's yep. a different thing to do. <laughs> yeah, so. we've already entirely changed the way Artifice works. Yeah. Uh, there was one last part to this arc, though, Jeff. Uh, Hob's fight night. Yeah, so the final part of this arc was Hobbs' fight night, uh, where the rest of the gang went with him uh, as he competed in the Burning Ring, uh, and they got lots of money uh, from betting off of him, and it was kind of a cool hybrid uh, skill challenge and combat combined into one, uh, where everybody had the opportunity to contribute. I just want to say that I just want to say that. Hob is lucky he had that barrier that Milo put on. <laughs> All right. So next up, we are going to have uh, everybody answer our first listener question of the episode from Laura. Uh, Laura asks, where did you get your character ideas from and what else were you consider playing? Uh, so whoever wants to go first can uh, go first. Uh, well, I'll speak about Reynard. Uh, it will be ever developing. So, um, I haven't quite a hundred percent locked down exactly where it's going to go, but um, that's the fun of this game. Right. Um, mm-hmm. But I knew initially character wise, I wanted it to still be kind of uh, lighthearted and uh, a little comedic. And so, but also kind of like cool. So my initial thought was like Legolas meets Jack Sparrow. Um <laughs> And so that's wow, that is a really good description of what you've been doing. That's kind of like my my the alley I'm I'm trying to stay in right now. So um but I didn't want him to be just like a traditional elf either, so that's why I wanted to have like short hair and um kind of lose I don't know, any kind of uh um pretension? Yeah, I was thinking like Pretentious is a better word. I was thinking like poised, but I guess he's still kind of mm. poised. So, um, I'll go ahead and talk about Milo Kegbottom. Um, a lot of times, what I will do is just start coming up with character names. What if I played an elf? What name would I have? And I'll come up with some names. If I'm going to play, you know, a halfling, what would I? So I just start coming up with names, and then when I hit a name that I really like. It's like, oh, I really like Milo Kegbottom. Guess I'm going to play a halfling. Another small guy. Um, he's middle-aged for a halfling, maybe a little older than that. Um, I debated about going along the lines of a warlock-type character, but then I settled on sorcerer style. And... Hope he's going to be fun to play. I think he will be. Um, he's 
you know, the, the characters know him before his bar burnt down, his family's bar. And they know him after that. He seems to be somewhat more intelligent at times than he used to be. And he sometimes hears his wife in his head. And he's to the point now where he thinks it's real, where that's her sometimes talking to him. Um, I don't know how much I should tell you guys about Milo. Uh, I don't know. I just, when I came up with the concept and the backstory, I just thought it would be fun to play this guy. So he, anyway, he may seem a little off at times, but that kind of goes with me too. So there you go. <laughs> um, I knew <clears throat> that I wanted there to be in the party something distinctly Eberron. Uh, and because, th- because I mean, we didn't have, I mean, well, J- Jeff played a changeling last time. And so that was our sort of, but this is the Eberron thing. Uh, well, I don't know why you're shaking your hand like that. You played a changeling. So that was sort of our, our, our nod to the, the, the host of distinctive things to Eberron. And, and so I kind of bounced around about playing a, uh, a dragon marked air or a war forged, uh, but landed on an artificer. Cause I think artificers are neat. Uh, I like um, I like games where you get to really carefully like I like games where your weapons have hard points and things like that. Um, I really enjoyed that aspect of the Star Wars RPG that Genesis is based on, where you can really customize an item, uh, and that's what artificers do. It's literally their thing, so uh, it made sense. Um, as to what I thought about playing besides this, uh, it, he was going to be a it was going to be a hobgoblin initially. Um, and I was going to do a very, um, very taciturn, uh, gruff kind of, um, kind of hobgoblin, uh, artificer. And when Jeff started talking about hob, I immediately kind of knew that that was, they were just going to be too alike. Um, and that two quiet guys wasn't going to be, wasn't going to be good. Um, and so I started thinking about other things and landed on just essentially swapping to the opposite end of the spectrum. Um, as far as ideas for Eris, I think I've said this, most of Eris's appearance is, um, was created by my daughter. Um, if my daughter could, uh, but she does have a side cut, but if she could have uh, a side cut with bright blue hair, um, she absolutely would. And almost everything that Eris wears can be found in my daughter's closet um, with slight modifications to, uh, based on the character. So her, her appearance was inspired mostly by my daughter. Um, as I mentioned, I like customizable weapons. And so picking signature weapon just made a lot of sense. Uh, and I had the idea. I don't remember when I got the idea for the, um, the mass driver uh, crossbow thing. Um, but when I once I had it, I, I wanted there to be something kind of cool that you could build only that you could only have in Eberron, and so designing it around a bound elemental just made a lot of sense. Uh, but that's really the only other thing I considered was being a hobgoblin. Uh, I didn't really think of playing anything other than an artificer. That was just kind of where I landed pretty early. I thought of a monk Goliath, 
months and months and months and months ago. Uh, I mentioned it to Philip and Eric as an idea for a cool character, and they agreed. And from that point, that's what I'm going to have been. So uh, <clears throat> I didn't go through a bunch of different ideas like some of the other guys did. I was just like, I'm going to be this kind of zinned out Goliath. That's all. Okay, and our next question uh, comes from Darren. Darren asks, did you consider a dragon mark for your character? It's never too late to manifest one. And I think I I messed up uh, pulling Darren's question. He was specifically asking that of Trevor, but any of us can feel free to answer. Um, I think that when we had I, a conversation. Yeah, about that. when I initially talked with Eric about the character, I think he did suggest it and... Uh, I can't remember why I decided just to to not do that. It was it was the the proposition of if if you are a marked member of this house that is left, then it's going to be more interesting, but also increasingly more complicated because they're going to be more upset that you're not with them. So I think you just kind of decided that it you didn't want to detract from the story too much by having this like avoiding persistent conflict. thing. <laughs> that doesn't sound like you. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I, I guess I was given the opportunity and passed it up, so I'm sorry. I left it <laughs> less spicy than I should have. Did anybody else consider a dragon mark, though? Uh, I thought about giving Eris one. Um, I thought about making her a marked Kenneth heir, uh, since that's since human artificer with the mark of making is about as classically Eberron as you can get. Um, but ultimately I didn't want her to be, I didn't want her being somebody to be a derivation of, of her birth the way Barrack was like Barrack's everything. The importance of Barrack was a birthright and I didn't want to do that with Eris. And no, from me too, did not, I'm kind of like Trevor. I didn't want to potentially upset anybody. Okay, next question comes from Richard. Uh, Richard asks, uh, Genesis has a lot of session-specific powers. Uh, For show purposes, do you consider a session a full four-hour recording period or each individual episode? Um, uh, Yeah, I I made it clear to everybody that basically each arc is uh, is a session for the purposes of these powers. So, like... um, Jeff and Philip used their heroic abilities during the actual proper three episode arc. And then uh, Randy and Trevor used theirs in the little uh, fight night extra episode. But that those those four episodes constitute a single session. Um, so that's how we're handling it. As long as we continue to have only four episode arcs. Yeah, I was going to say <laughs> when we have an, yes. we yeah. have an arc that lasts four or five sessions. Yes. Um basically the initial intent was a recording session, uh, but then we had that additional episode. So um, as, a, as it stands right now, as long as the arcs continue to only be uh, four episodes, then that that's where we'll land. But yeah. Next up, Darren has kind of a two-parter question. Uh, was the crew's relationship with the Boromar clan informed in any way by the group patrons concept from uh, the Eberron D&D source book? Uh, is the function of the story points just to escalate tension? It seems to me that even on the same role, if the player wants to increase their chance of success, the GM can just increase the difficulty or vice versa. How are you collectively feeling about the dynamic so far? So that's kind of a two-part question, and we will take them one part at a time. So to to start off with Darren's first question, um, the the idea of 
the Boromar playing a big role in this campaign wasn't um, entirely informed from the group patron section. Uh, The group patron section of that, of uh, the Eberron fifth edition book has certainly been helpful um, and has been a resource, but it wasn't uh, pulled carbon copy from, from that section of the book. Uh, and then just speaking as the the GM for the campaign, the the story points function as yeah, as a means to rise, uh, raise the tension um, on a particular role and allow for the introduction of interesting things, because um, a triumph and a despair can't happen unless there's a yellow or a red die in play. And so story points allow that to happen. Um now you kind of point out can't the gm just increase the difficulty and they they can but in genesis is a system that's kind of frowned upon because you have the resource of story points to do that and it's supposed to be a uh a dynamic economy where as the players are spending story points they become gm story points so as the gm you need to spend those story points so the players have the resource to use um if one side begins hoarding them then you kind of lose that that part of the game uh so there are there are instances like i I think uh when sigil eris and milo were unlocking the door uh with the big arcane lock i think that difficulty was upgraded had had a red die involved because of the nature of that check and the nature of a, the lock that a house Kenneth lock would have on it. Like there, there would be an escalated consequence just by the very nature of unlocking that type of door. But normally you would use story points for that purpose. So, yeah, it's also true. One thing we didn't, I think we might've done once, but my what I think is the most fun and interesting use of story points is players can spend story points to add narrative reality. Yeah. Um, I don't remember if I spent, did I spend one to add the, like the, um, the security door that we dropped on the Warforged? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So things like that, I think are when we start to get more comfortable improvising and, and get into that, I think that's where you'll see the story points really uh, shine a little more. How, how are you all collectively feeling about the dynamic? Uh, I'm fairly comfortable with the story points. I like I like the presence of something like that in a game. I have tried very unsuccessfully to add things like that to 5th edition several times. Um, but I like the presence of that kind of thing where the players can um, add, can bend the story a little bit. Yeah. But isn't it frustrating when you do it and then the GM says, well, I'm going to use a story point too. <laughs> yeah well and and honestly the the coolest things that happen in genesis are when you get the triumphs and the despairs uh, and you get some cool narrative effect instead of just the so mechanical okay, I, effect i have a question then is is that the only time the triumphs and despairs come into play is when story points are flipped? It's not, is it? No, only, no. but but it's, it's only when the reds and yellows are being rolled. And a lot of ah. times the only way that a red ends up being rolled is if the GM is spending those story points. Ah, okay. Yeah. And the best rolls are when like there's the a triumph and a despair. Yeah. I kind of, I kind of like them. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm not hundred percent decided. As it's like, I'm flipping one. Well, then I'm going to flip one. And then Eric's yeah. like, I'm flipping a story point. Well, I'm going to flip and I'm going to flip one right back. <laughs> but I mean, it's like I say, it's kind of a two way street the way it works. 
and it does yeah. add that interesting narrative. So, well, well and, I know that one time Eric, uh, Eric flipped a, I, I don't remember, remember what Milo was doing, but Eric flipped a story point and I was like, Oh man. But then Eric was the one that said, do you want to flip one back? <laughs> I was like, I guess I could, couldn't I? Yeah, let's do that. Well, and something to keep in mind with the the story points and just upgrading checks in general is um, they like flipping the story point. It, it might by a small percentage make things slightly more difficult, but not nearly as much as adding another purple. Like the 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 augment ability is far more potent than me flipping a story point to add a red die. It just opens up the possibility for more exciting things to happen, not really ramping up the likelihood that you all fail. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, uh, to Darren's base question, I suppose, yes, the primary function is to increase narrative tension. Yeah. Um, Because if you all haven't listened to our uh, adventure on the Order 66 podcast, uh, I think one of us rolled a despair and it caused another ship to come crashing down to the hut barge that we were on or something. If I remember. Correctly. Yes, yeah. that's right. Yes. Yeah. So crazy stuff can happen when a despair gets rolled. So next question comes from devious pop tart about the exact spelling of the hangout for the crew. <laughs> Is it four sales, four sales, four sales or four sales? I think uh, there's one, two, three, four sales on a ship. Yes. Is is the four sales? I don't know if there's a description of this because we haven't gotten to like, we, I mean, we were in it, but we didn't spend a lot of time describing it. But in my head, it's actually Ulfen's ship just like glommed on to the side of the Memphis <laughs> Plateau and refitted uh, into a restaurant. Please the, tell the, me that's what it is. No, because that's too derivative of the last campaign where uh, Barrick was hanging out in another bar that was a old ship that was uh, sitting at the docks of Stormreach. Yeah, but that was like two sessions. I would envision it being decorated like the interior of a ship, but not actually being a ship. Mm. So it's Long John Four Sales. That's the, that's the title. It's kind of like Bubba Gump. But you can create the sentence that the four sails has four sails, four sail, four sailboats. <laughs> the next question comes from Arnor. Uh, what are your knowledge skills for Eberron? Did you use the default from the Terranoth book or did you change them? I found the career list in the Terranoth book sparse and wanting, especially for a more noir and gritty game. Did you make any custom careers for the guys? Um when I say the guys, I, of course, mean Philip, the player that knows the system. Uh, the skill challenges that you have run, you mentioned that you were drawing from some supplement on the foundry, but did not mention the name. Name, please. Um, a suggestion about the skill challenge. Ask the players to not use the same skill twice in a row. Uh, this one for Jeff. Why a Goliath instead of a Warforge? The tank brick archetype seems like it would have been served uh, as well by a more quintessential Eberron race. Randy, I love your character and the voice. Uh, you are finding for him. Uh, how are you, Randy, finding the Genesis system working for you? So answer all of those questions. <laughs> Thanks, Arnor. Um, to, to answer the very first question, the knowledge skills are adventuring, nature, lore, society, and underworld. And no, that's not the default from Terranoth. I think Terranoth has uh, lore, I believe. Has lore, um, forbidden. Adventuring. Um, and geography and forbidden. Um, 
Yeah. Um, which forbidden doesn't really make sense for our campaign setting. So, um, so yeah, I just, I, I went with, uh, cause the, the recommendation is four to five knowledge skills. Once you get more than that, it becomes a bit too, uh, cost prohibitive from an XP standpoint for the players. So I stuck with five and those are the five that seem to cover all of Eberron as well as possible. So, yeah. Um, Eric and I together made a artificer career a while ago as far as custom careers. And then Eric revised it when we got close to actually doing this. And then I negotiated one change, I think, to the career skill list. Because yeah. um, I thought the artificer should have skullduggery since artificers are always proficient in thieves tools. But that was, um, I, th- that, I mean, I think Eric created custom skill, more custom skills, more custom careers than that. But that was the only one that a player had a hand in as far as I know. The only one of the players that took a, a career from Terranoth was Trevor. Trevor took the scoundrel career from Terranoth just because basically the process was I went to each of the players and asked, hey, describe your character. And then I made a career for them um, because I, I think the folly that a lot of people uh, have when trying, especially transitioning their game from D&D to Genesis is trying to convert a D&D class to mm-hmm. a Genesis career, uh, which that path only leads to heartbreak and migraines. Um, so D&D backgrounds I, would be much more and that, that's much uh, more the the path that I took is so Jeff, for example, Hob, like if you were to describe Hob in D&D terms, he is a Goliath monk in Genesis terms. He is a Goliath enforcer because his role in the story and the world is an enforcer for the Boromar clan. Now it is up to Jeff to take talents that make Hob a monk as opposed to it being a career thing. Mm hmm. Um, and same with Randy. Randy's, I think his career name, I think Philip uh, helped me out with that, was Hedge Mage because yeah. he's not he's not a part of a a house or an arcane school or anything. He's just a, a magic user that uh, belongs to no organization. And so created that, made a skill list that makes sense for a magic user that is not necessarily has not put down roots somewhere. So things like survival. Um, and, and yeah, uh, that, that was the process. So. Eris's career skill, we called a mage, right? Cause we were yeah. trying to avoid naming any of the careers after classes. And then regarding the, uh, supplement that Arnor asked about, uh, with the additional skill challenge rules that I utilized. No, I, I, I got it prepped. Um, so it's called the Game Master's Eclectic Toolbox by S.F. Uh, Ratten, I believe is the, the last name. Um, it is a, a wonderful document. Uh, it's $5 on the Genesis Foundry, which is their uh, drive through RPG store. Uh, but it's 35 pages on adversary creation, tips on running combat, um, and skill checks and interpreting results, and then also skill challenges. Um, and had a really cool, uh, success track, um, that, that I utilized where the more failures made things more difficult, um, to kind of ramp up that tension. So definitely go check that out and, and pick it up because it's a document. If you're going to be running in Genesis, that is, uh, well worth 
$5. Then regarding uh, the idea of imposing a, a rule for skill challenges to not allow players to use the same skill twice, to, to impose that rule as a hard and fast rule would be largely unfair to Trevor since Trevor's heroic ability is based on a single skill. And so if during a skill challenge Trevor wants to use that, then he's guaranteed to only get half of the usability out of it because he can't do the same skill twice. And so, we all know that we have to make this as fair for me as possible. He will, he will <laughs> throw a tantrum. Already at a disadvantage. Um, <laughs> and then to continue Arnor's question, uh, Jeff, why did you decide to go with a Goliath as opposed to going with a, a Warforge being a more iconic Eberron race? And while part of the reason is I just decided I wanted to be a Goliath a long time ago, and that was that. Uh, the other part is I wanted for my character to have an adolescence in his backstory, and Warford don't age. So I went with some uh, another kind of uh, race that does. And lastly, Randy, how are you finding the Genesis system working for you? Man, I hate it. <laughs> Go back to 5e, please. Now it's I think it's I think it's going to I think it's going to grow on me. I admit, you know, I've been playing D&D for a long long time. Maybe since before some of you guys were born, I don't know. But I just I like it. It's just way different than what I'm used to. I enjoyed it when we did the Star Wars. Um, but I think I'm going to like it the more we play, the more I'm going to like it. Yeah. I don't dislike it. So it's, you know, it's one of those, it's one of those old dogs, new tricks kind of things. I'm sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But yeah, I'm cool you've been playing D and D fifth edition for the past 20 years. Yeah. Fifth edition. <laughs> Okay, the next question comes from Richard. Uh, Richard, uh, it turned into kind of a discussion, but we wanted to uh, address what initiated the discussion in that Richard had some questions surrounding uh, Sigil's pronouns uh, being they, them, and that being how I was referring uh, to Sigil as a character. Yeah, so Sigil uses they, them pronouns, and uh, if somebody... Uh, refers to sigil otherwise uh they will like correct them but that hasn't happened in mm. in the game so it's part of their arc and it's part of the story that i'm telling with sigil so it's it's not anything where i'm going to lay out the ins and outs of it here and now it's just if it comes up it will come up and if it's just an accepted part of the story and never really gets uh never becomes like uh an art an overt arc in and of itself then that that's also fine too but just right now uh sigil uses they them so well, and with, within eberron it wouldn't be that strange especially with a warforged because in in the older editions they were described as like in the notes next to their stat block you would get male persona or female persona warforged because of course warforged don't have biology exactly yeah. uh and so it would not it would seem to me 
not to be very strange for a Warforge to not select uh, either yes. option as a persona. And and if if anybody's interested in in Eberron specifically and and this discussion, ba- uh, Keith Baker has discussed both uh, Warforge changelings um, specifically and. Uh, proper pronouns and things like that. So you can go find his discussions on that as well. Um, if you, if you so choose. So at his blog, yeah. at keithbaker.com. Yep. The next question comes from devious pop tart. Uh, devious pop tart asks, have you designed any rules for dragon marks in Genesis? And if so, would you be willing to share them? I thought of how I would implement them in the Genesis system. And it seems like the most simple method would be method would be to make talents that work off of a skill that doesn't necessarily have to be a magical skill. Uh, but I could see someone bringing in the force powers from FFG star Wars and changing them since there's no force rating or force die. Uh, and this actually spawned a really interesting discussion in the DM brain trust, uh, channel in our discord. Uh, so if you'd like to see, uh, some of our community members kind of work through this and discuss it, uh, outside of my own thoughts that I'm about to share with you all, um, please go to our website, thegeekpantheon.com. The discord link is there, uh, hop on. It's open for everybody. And we'd love to have you be part of the discussions like the one that this question spawned. At this stage of the game, and this is just for for all the listeners in case you're you're curious about where we stand in the process. Um, none of the players have a dragon mark, so there's no rules for dragon marks right now. <laughs> right? Um, yeah. Um, no, that this has probably been the biggest conversation I have had, not only with uh, with Philip, uh, but also with GM Chris and GM Huli from the Forge, and other members of the Genesis community about trying to break down the best way. Uh, to do dragon marks um, and kind of where where I've landed based on the latest conversations I've had is having a tier five talent that is a Sybaris mark. And the prerequisite for that is that you cannot have taken a dragon marked heroic ability and having the dragon marks, the the standard dragon marks, because heroic abilities have a built-in progression system where you can start with least, then go to lesser, mm-hmm. then greater. Um, and having the progression be built into the heroic ability uh, progression itself. Obviously, that does make it to where you have to take, if you want just a standard dragon mark, you have to take it at character creation. But frankly, that's the method that they have for 5th edition now, too. So with, with dragon marks being a sub-race. So... Um, it, it would also be true within your own game because I think Eric has landed on the most simple idea because all the other ideas that he and I talked through were just convoluted in the end. Um, yeah. It would also be true that in your game, if someone decides they want to manifest a dragon mark, I don't think it's game breaking to allow someone to switch heroic skills. Yeah. Um, and there's also, I think, some uh, an alternative rule in the Terranoth sourcebook about uh, once you hit a certain amount of ability points, allowing somebody to take a second heroic ability. Hmm. Um, or I may have just seen that in the community somewhere. But um, so, yeah, there's all kinds of solutions. And the one that I'm landing on is the the most simple, um, requires the, le- the least amount of bookkeeping and the least amount of rules creation, uh, because... Uh, as GM Chris put it to me when I was presenting him an overly convoluted version of Artifice when we first started this conversion, uh, he said, hey, if you guys want to play Genesis, you should just play Genesis. You shouldn't create a bunch of rules to make Genesis not Genesis anymore. I was like, that's fair. That's that's a good <laughs> good call out. So, um, 
Our next question comes from Keith Orr, uh, who says, just subbed, really excited you're using Genesis for the new campaign. Welcome. Uh, I know you stated some of the foundry options you were using, but I'm curious how you're organized uh, how you organize the player options for talents. Uh, seems like there weren't, there aren't a ton of options for characters Were the players limited to a certain, to certain sources, or did you just let them loose on the system? Uh, so there is a big old document, um, many pages long that has essentially every talent from every Genesis source, including the new book secrets of the crucible. And then also has a conversion of a, pretty good deal of uh, talents from the Star Wars system uh, converted for Genesis in addition to um, some custom talents that I made to fill in some gaps from what I knew the players were going to want to do. Um, so there, there's a lot of talents and the, the big reason I brought so many talents in is because I started doing some mental math, I think like three or four weeks before session one of our campaign and realized like, holy crap, if you just use these talents in Terranoth, um, the core rules and the expand, expanded players guide, like if, if players are earning XP at X rate, you can only last like we could only last like 100 episodes or something was was what I thought before they've just taken every talent and they're all the same. So I kind of had to do some some legwork to create a robust amount of talents to, to prevent that from happening. Um, and it's robust so. guys. There are so many talents when he gave me that document uh, and I had looked through the books and I was like, man, this is, you know, this handful of talents should be pretty. And then he sent us that document. Like, Oh my gosh. Um, and before anybody asks, this document has all of the talents with all of their, um, all of like, Basically, I copy pasted from my PDFs of the books, so I cannot share that because that would be copyright. Yeah, um, I I think I have the custom talents I made for Jeff's monk up in. Uh, well, that's actually the next question, so I'll wait to to reveal that. <laughs> but but no, I can't share that document with you all. I'm sorry. And the next question comes from Kevin. Uh, do you have a document you can share of all of your Eberron Genesis conversion work? I'm curious how the furry the flurry of blows and artifice are working. Uh, also, are there any standard Genesis rules you changed? Uh, Philip said the strain was stacking up to maintain augment on Jeff's PC. Uh, was that due to needing a second maneuver to concentrate? Um, so Kevin, the, uh, all of the documentation for the Genesis Eberron conversion is actually in the DMs spellbook, uh, which is the, uh, I think $3 a month tier for, uh, for the Patreon. So anybody that's on that is added to the OneNote document and has access to all of that material. I think I have, I have some new things that I need to plop in there. Uh, but that's where I've been keeping, uh, everything as I've kind of created it and added it and, um, and I will continue to do so, uh, moving forward. So if you want access to all of that stuff, that will be where it is available. Um, in terms of changing rules, um, I don't think any don't of the think base have. rules have been changed. Um, I was using two maneuvers. That's why the strain. It, well, he's not charging yeah. me strain to concentrate. I was just using no. extra maneuvers to do stuff. Concentration is a maneuver in Genesis. So if Eris wants to be able to move on her turn and then continue concentrating, that costs two strain. Right. But if she doesn't move, no cost. So... 
And our final question comes from Danny. Uh, she says, does having four players make it a little easier amongst you guys as podcasters slash performative players uh, by sharing the verbal burden? Or is it an adjustment in the other direction to not talk over each other as much? I, I've had experience running games for anywhere from two players up to eight players at one point, And that was a, a real ugh, mistake. Ugh. Um, yeah. Philip was at that table and Randy was at that table. Yeah. Um, it was a nightmare. Anyway, um, so four players isn't isn't daunting um, as as the GM and also editor and producer of the sh- the show aspect. Um, kind of have wearing those hats at the same time, trying to construct things in such a way to afford everybody at least a moment. And I think another dynamic to take into account at this phase of the campaign that I I'm hoping at least will will find some equilibrium moving forward is as certain people become more comfortable with their characters, they're naturally going to speak more because they are more comfortable with their characters and the people that are still finding their feet may be a little reticent to, to hop in as much because they don't know um, what their character's voice sounds like yet. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I think, I think as time goes on, there, there will be uh, a little bit more uh, evenness outside of the amount of time that I talk as the GM, which is way too much, but uh, yeah. So thanks for the question, Danny. I, I agree. I don't think it's harder or easier. It is. It is a little bit different, but I don't think it's harder or easier. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, you know, we all have our different styles, too. I mean, you know, I don't talk as much as two of our other players. (laughs) But, you know, I try to find my moments. You know, I think it all meshes really well. You know, and then I think Trevor's going to get in there and he's going to find his moments. So I think it'll I think it's going to be just fine. Um, I do want to give uh, a quick plug for anybody wanting to uh, continue to get some insight on just the construction of Eberron in Genesis. Um, Probably, uh, I don't know in relation to when this episode drops. uh, Well, no, we're recording it after this episode drops. So um, if you want to start, if you aren't currently following the Forge podcast, um, I'm going to be becoming a pretty regular guest host on the show for a new segment that they're introducing called Eberron Reforged. Um, Yes, it's spreading. (laughs) Uh, But the first thing uh, that we're going to be talking about, uh, Arnor, your your question about knowledge skills. uh, The first thing we're going to be talking about is the curated skill list that I went with for Eberron and why I picked that and kind of a, a high level discussion of initial setting conversion slash creation. Um, and it's all centered around Eberron and it'll be interesting because it will be two people not involved with this show, um, giving me pushback and asking me questions about the decisions I made and providing their insights and their ideas to people that know the Genesis system very well. And Chris knows the Eberron system very well as well. Uh, so I think it'll be a really interesting discussion and you might get some insight into changes that are going to be happening to the, to the mechanics of the show before the players know. So um, that's definitely going to be worth checking out. 
Okay, and that's all the questions we have for this week's Eberron Reviewed. Uh, thank you all so much for bearing with the delay and kind of the uh, erratic nature of this episode. Um, we hope that you all have enjoyed it. Uh, obviously, we don't want the next one to be like this, and it shouldn't be. Um, so, yeah, uh, thank you all so much for listening. If you want to be part of the conversation, you can head on over to the Facebook group, The Geek Pantheon. We're also on Twitter and Instagram, at The Geek Pantheon. Or you could hop onto our Discord, which is the best way best place to uh, talk to us and all the other wonderful community members over there. Uh, you can find the link to the discord over at our website, thegeekpantheon.com. Uh, anyway, thank you all so much for listening. Um, once again, I've been your game master, Eric, and because the audio got messed up, I'm all alone. <laughs> <laughs>